All right, 2 Kings chapter 4, beginning with verse 38. And Elisha came again to Gilgal, and there was a dearth in the land. And the sons of the prophets were sitting before him, and he said unto his servant, Set on the great pot, and seethe pottage for the sons of the prophets. And one went out into the field to gather herbs, and found a wild vine, and gathered thereof wild gourds, his lap full, and came and shred them into the pot of pottage, for they knew them not. So they poured out for the men to eat, and it came to pass as they were eating of the pottage, they cried out and said, O thou man of God, there is death in the pot. And they could not eat thereof. But he said, then bring meal. And he cast it into the pot, and he said, pour out for the people that they may eat. And there was no harm in the pot. Everybody say, no harm. And there came a man from Baal-Lisa and brought the man of God bread of the first fruits, 20 loaves of barley and full ears of corn in the husk thereof. And he said, give unto the people that we may, they may eat. And his servitor said, what should I set this before a hundred men? And he said again, give the people that they may eat. For thus saith the Lord, they shall eat and shall leave thereof so he set it before them, and they did eat and left thereof according to the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Gilgal was a place of importance to the Jews. When they crossed the River Jordan, the first footsteps into the Promised Land was at Gilgal. They erected a monument there, a monument that when their children and grandchildren would ask the meaning, they would say, the Lord opened the river Jordan and we came through on dry ground. And therefore this monument is that God is always adequate for every crisis. It was the first place they camped out in Canaan's land. It was a place where all of the men that had been born in the wilderness during the 40 years of wandering were circumcised. It was a place where the first Passover in Canaan was offered. The very first Passover was offered at Gilgal. It was a place where the manna ceased, the divine supply of food. They'd go out every morning and gather manna and there would be enough for them to eat. And the day before the Sabbath, they would gather enough for two days. And nobody would gather man manna on the Sabbath day. But it was a place where the manna ceased to come out of the heavens no more. It was a place where God appeared to Joshua as a captain, as the Lord of hosts of the armies of Israel. God appeared to Joshua, assuring him that as they marched into Canaan's land to overtake the enemy, that he was in charge. The sons of the prophets were gathered there at Gilgal and the famine was severe. I do not know if this is the same famine that we find in chapter 6, which got so severe that they, made, uh, they ate the donkey's head and dove dung was served up. Can you imagine a diet of donkey soup or whatever you would make out of a donkey's head and a pie instead of pecan pie? A dung pie. 
It was a place of cannibalism in the seven-year drought that we read about in chapter 6. And I, I'm not sure if it's the same or if it was a subsequent famine. They actually, two women came before the king and said, we had an agreement that we would eat my son today and her son tomorrow. We ate my son and now she's hid her son. So cannibalism had set in. Any drought or famine that lasted seven years was serious. There was a siege that prevented them from getting any help from surrounding areas. And so it was a place where the sons of the prophets faced a crisis. There was nothing to eat. And so the prophet of God said, take the pot, the big kettle, the utensil that you prepare the meals in and put it on the fire and go out and gather herbs. Go out and gather the vegetation in the wilderness. It's good to have a man of God in your midst when you have a need. It's good when there's a, a crisis to recognize that we can call for the elders of the church. It's good to know that prayer gatherings and uh, intercessors and supplications will be made and miracles will happen. We could go on and on with the testimonies that we heard a few of tonight because in every family there have been incredible answers to prayer. Incredible answers to prayer. So the seven-year famine was great and there was a hundred sons of the prophets. I don't presume that all of these were single guys. They probably had wives and children. So it was more than a hundred men that were hungry. There were a hundred families, very likely, that had great need. And when, they, when the men went out and gathered the herbs, the pot was a huge kettle, huge utensil. And the dilemma was there was nothing in it. Have you ever looked at your bank account and there was nothing there? And over here there's a stack of bills. Have you ever looked in the refrigerator and it appears there's nothing there? The pantry is bare. Nothing is a plight that we don't like to deal with. And so the man of God said, seethe pottage. Make pottage. How are we going to do that? Where are we going to find the resources? Out of our limited resources, if we will be obedient, God will see to it that there is a way made to provide. And so he sent the men out. But I won't write at this point for us to quote a verse of scripture the missionary had us quote. Philippians chapter 4 and verse 13. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. Put the pot on the fire. Put the kettle there. The utensil. Prepare the fire. Nothing's in the pot. But we're going to serve these hundred men and likely their families. Again, let's quote that scripture. I can do all things through Christ that strengtheneth me. Nothing in the pot? That's okay. Verse 19 of Philippians chapter 4 says, But my God, help me, but my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. I would like for us to quote that again, get a little better cooperation. But my God 
shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Death was staring these people in the face. It was a crisis. They didn't know what to do. There was nothing in the pot. But the prophet said, put the pot on the fire and seethe pottage. Prepare pottage for these people. They're hungry. They've got to be fed. You and I have to go about our business in obedience to God, believing that he will make a way where there is no way. Believing that God will work miracles and supply needs. It doesn't all have to do with money. Sometimes it has to do with our feelings. We just can't go another mile. We just can't go another day. We just can't continue to pursue the goals. And we feel like parking on the side somewhere and taking a rest and giving up the race. And as Brother Code told us in that marvelous missionary message that he brought on a Wednesday night, the old man came along and told him when he had given up on the race, he said, finish the race. Finish the race. I love that. And God wants us to complete the task. And what was the task? Seed pottage. How are we going to seed pottage when we don't have anything in the pot? There's no provision. <laughs> Seven years of drought. Drought means no rain. Dearth means no food, no crops, no harvest. Wild gourds were found as a man went out. And they sent the men out to gather the herbs. And, you know, it's bad for the men to go grocery shopping. <laughs> now, we have some wonderful men cooks in the church. I'm telling you, they do a fantastic job. So I don't want to take anything away from the ability of men to cook. But that's an exception to me. <laughs> I can boil water. <laughs> and... Uh, a few other things. <laughs> so he sent men out to gather the herbs. Well, he found this, this fruit looked nice and he filled his lap full. I don't know what a man's doing with a lap. <laughs> anyway, he filled his lap full of these gourds and brought them and shred them into the pot, into the water and into the broth. And I'm sure they had uh, other things to put in there, but they put these poisonous herbs into the pot and as it seethed again we're reminded that not all men are capable of cooking healthy food <laughs> it says they knew them not they didn't know what they were doing that's the case with most of us men we just don't know what we're doing we probably could do a good job but we don't know what we're doing <laughs> wild gourds represent false doctrine they're symbolic of a diet that people need. They need food. They're starving. They're hungry. And they need sustenance. They need the bread of life. And the wild gourds represent false doctrine and teachings that are detrimental, that will bring death and not life, harm and hurt to the cause of Christ. A lot of Bible teachings are not Bible teachings. They're extra but biblical teachings. Outside of the true intent and meaning of the scriptures, they're man's interpretation and man's rendition of something that is fulfilling his own uh, program and effort to extract from the people whatever he's trying to get out of them. They're twisting the scriptures to make them mean something that God never intended for them to mean. You can quote verses of scripture 
and they not be applied right to circumstances in life and it is not good. It's like people abusing the word of God. Second Timothy chapter four, verses two through five tells us, preach the word, be instant in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. People decry doctrine. They don't want doctrine anymore. Paul commanded preachers to preach doctrine. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers. And it, it says having itching ears. The teachers don't have the itching ears. It's the congregation. It's the people that have the itching ears. And so having itching ears, they shall turn away their ears from the truth and be turned unto fables. But watch thou in all things. Endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, make full proof of thy ministry. People need the word of God. People need the Bible taught to them. They need the word of God being taught. False doctrine, excesses, exaggerations, pressing verses of scripture out of context to mean things that they never re really were intended to mean. Then there was a cry for help. You know, when you get... When you get into certain situations, you will cry out for help. You may not feel bad and you may feel healthy and you're going to live another hundred years and maybe not a pain in your body and you got money in the bank and uh, you, you've got friends and you've got it all. But one day there will be a cry for help. One day you will come to the end of your hoarded resources. One day you will see there's no help for me except God. And you will cry out and you will cry for help. The Bible teaches us that if there's any sick among you, let them call for the elders of the church and let them pray, anoint them with oil and pray over them. And the prayer of faith shall save the sick and the Lord shall raise them up. And so divine healing is offered as the elders are called for. And that's one way to call on the Lord is to call for his representatives, to call for the people who are anointed by God to be there as elders of the church. A call for God's help. I want, to, I want to relate this to a problem that people are not calling about. And that's marriage counseling. People are filing for divorce without calling for the elders of the church for a healing for the problem. I said this earlier in, a few weeks ago, but I want to repeat it again. It bears repeating. It's an awful sin to destroy a marriage without counseling with a man of God. We're not marriage counselors, but we are elders of the church. And after that, we have ministered to you about your problem and prayed with you, and we will refer you to someone that can counsel with you and your spouse on a continuing basis. And I want to say to those of you who befriend people who are breaking up their homes and their families, you're doing an awful disservice. When people take a vow before God and the company that are gathered, Till death do us part, you're inviting death. You're inviting crepe to be hung on the doorknob of their life. When people file for divorce without getting spiritual counsel, they're breaking a vow that they said, till death do us part. I believe in calling for the elders. You, have, you need to send up a distress call. You need to do whatever you can to save your marriage. And you may not be able to, but you need to be able to look back on that experience and say, I tried. I did my best. I sought out godly counsel and they referred me to professional help. 
And it may not work because God never imposes his will on people. They have to surrender to God's will. And it always takes two to agree together to solve these problems. But I want to say it to you again. Don't expect God to come to your rescue when you have violated his conditions for a miracle and you have not counseled and you have not sought God over your marriage and you break up your home. You are sinning before God. You are sinning before God. Didn't even plan to say any of that. A cry for help. A prayer for the sick. You know, people commit offenses and they get hurt and their spiritual life suffers. If there is an unforgiving spirit in your heart and life, there is a bottleneck in your prayer life. There is a hindrance to your prayers getting answered. There are hindrances to miracles that God just wants to work in your life. But when he sees that unforgiving spirit, the heavenly father will not cross over that to get to your need that you're so anxious about and you're working for a miracle to take place in spite of the unforgiveness in your heart. If you have wounded somebody, if you have offended somebody, you're adding another link to the chain that's about your neck and on the other end of that chain, there's a millstone. And pretty soon it's gonna drag you over and you'll be cast into the sea because it's better for you to be cast into the sea with a millstone around your neck than it is for you to offend one of God's little ones. And I have an idea. There's some people who need to cross the building and make things right. People need to look around and say, well, I won't speak to so-and-so because I don't like what's happened. You need to make that right with God and make it right with the people. I don't believe in confessing sins that are not known and, and people would be hurt if you revealed to them what's going on. And so you need some counsel over some of the confessions. Or you may stir up more problems than you'll solve. The spiritual mistakes that are made. We need to call for the elders of the church. Pastor, what would you think that I should do? And I'm quick to tell people if I don't know what they should do. I don't mind telling people I don't have the answer. Because if I don't have the answer, I'm not going to give them a false answer. I'm not going to offer them advice that I can't really believe that is rooted in the word of God and will help them find the, the, the solution to their problems. They cried out, oh, thou man of God. Since you don't call me on the telephone, will you do that now? Everybody. Oh, thou man of God. I'm listening. That wasn't everybody. Come on. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Psalms 55 and verse 14 says, we took sweet counsel together. We took sweet counsel together and walked unto the house of God in company. The man of God in verse 41 says, bring meal. Very likely that if they had any meal left, they had put it in the broth because I understand that goes with it. I don't know that much about it. <laughs> Frank, did they put meal in broth? <laughs> I told him how to make sausage gravy the other day. He looked at me kind of strange. <laughs> I said, go buy it at Sam's. It comes in gallon cans. <laughs> He wouldn't serve it. He bought some, but he wouldn't serve it until he doctored it up. <laughs> Meal is symbolic. It's symbolic of the manna that fell every day in the wilderness. It was bread. The Bible says in John chapter 6 and verse 31, he gave them bread from heaven. Manna was angel's food. 
bread from heaven. Oh, it's wonderful to have your palate uh, just salivating for something to satisfy it. And all, all of a sudden your, su 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 your sufficiency has been serenified. <laughs> I pulled that on my wife <laughs> when she don't know what I'm saying. <laughs> you don't either. I don't either. <laughs> Best thing to do is just make up something. <laughs> oh, but when it satisfies, when it satisfies, when it meets the need, Jesus is the bread of life and he satisfies. There is total satisfaction in him. In John chapter 7 and verse 32, Jesus said, My Father giveth you that true bread from heaven. My Father giveth you that true bread. In verse 35, he said, I am the bread of life. Oh, when you get Jesus, you've got everything. In verse 48, I am the bread of life again, he stated. And then in verse 51, I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. You might make it another day on something you get at Cracker Barrel. But if you eat the bread of life, the bread that comes down from heaven the Father gave us, then you'll live forever. He gives eternal life. When you die, it won't be the end. It's not going to be the end anyway, but you, you'll have the second death, which is to be cast into torment. But if you have invited Jesus into your heart, you're going to be resurrected and live forever in the presence of God. In the New Testament, Jesus taught us how to deal with death in the pot. In Mark chapter 16, verse 17 and 18, these signs shall follow them that believe. In my name shall they cast out devils. They shall speak with new tongues. They will take up serpents. And if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. They shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. They shall take up serpents. And if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. Now tonight in life, you may have been served up something that is poisonous. There's death in the pot. There's death in the vessel that the source that has come at you and the devil has put people in your pathway and put circumstances in your pathway and you've been hurt and you've been injured and there's death in there and daily it's eating away at you. There's bitterness. If we allow jealousy and bitterness to exist in our heart, it's going to eat away until it causes something disastrous. So he said, if you eat any if you drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt you. I want you to think about that. You have to take a, a little drink every once in a while of life circumstances and the bitter deals that come your way. You don't want them, but nevertheless, that's your plight. We take up serpents and here they come at you, ready to bite, ready to strike at you. And you hear them coming through the brush and making their way in your direction. And the Bible says they shall take up serpents. And if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not harm them. He made the harmful food good. The prophet said, put meal in the pot. He blessed that meal. They brought him meal. He cast it into the pot. And the blessing of the prophet of God took the poison out of the pottage. Took the poison out of the pottage. I believe the blessing of this service is going to take some poison out of people's life tonight. 
I believe you're going to be freed from bitterness and strife and anger and unforgiveness. You're going to be freed from jealousy. You're going to be freed from the things that have tempted you and, and you've struggled with them. And you just think, a person of my temperament can't handle that. I know you can't. But when you get Christ's life inside of you, it's not you handling. It's Christ in you, the hope of glory. So he put the meal in and then he said, serve the men. And he served the men and there was no harm done whatsoever. They did not get poisoned. No weapon formed against you shall prosper. They shall tread on serpents and scorpions. If they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt harm them. Here's a proverb. Listen to this proverb. Chapter 25, verse 21 and 22. If thine enemy be hungry, give him bread to eat. If he be thirsty, give him water to drink. For thou shalt heap coals of fire upon his head, and the Lord shall reward thee. Heap coals of fire on your enemy's head by doing good deeds by helping them in some way. The woman came to the pastor and said, Pastor, I just can't handle it anymore. My husband is so mean. And he, she said, I, I've done all the good things that I know to do. But he said, have you tried heaping coals of fire on his head? No, but I've tried scalding water. <laughs> Out with the scalding water. Coals of fire of love. Coals of fire of forgiveness. Calls of kind deeds. I'm telling you, that's intense fire. And it will burn up a lot of destructive forces. Here's some steps to healing and I close. Obedience. Bring meal. We don't have much left. There's just a handful like the widow and her son that had enough for one hoe cake. Bring meal. And they brought the meal, such as they had. Pour, cast it into the pot. Pour out for the people. Here's this poisonous pottage. And they say, there's death in that pot. Give it to them. Let them drink it. Take a step of faith. Sometimes you have got to take a step of faith. When it looks like that the wrong move would be jeopardy and you would endanger yourself, go ahead, take the risk. Take the risk. And he said, give them to drink. And then they had to have faith. These hundred sons of the prophet had to have faith to swallow it down. I mean, some of them probably wallowed around from side to side like a child does, like little Colin, uh, something that Shannon was trying to get him to eat. And he, you know how a child is. He's never tasted it in his life, but he's made up his mind. That's not good. I'm not going to have that. And how are you going to change a two-year-old's mind? So finally she said, just two. Just two. No dessert. Just two. Until you take two. So finally, he took them, wallowed it around a little bit and swallowed it, looked up and said, not bad. <laughs> Eat it. What's set before you? Some of the situations in life we don't like. We just don't want to swallow them down. We're going to just toss them over our shoulder. Let somebody else deal with that. Go ahead and deal with it. Go ahead and plow right to the middle of the problem. And it won't be too bad. It may bring the miracle 
of saving your life in the famine. There's dearth in the land. Seven years of famine. Nothing to eat. And now God miraculously supplies by taking the poison and taking the harm away and making healthy food. So the harmful things in life situations that you're dealing with tonight can be so changed that they will not harm you, but as you deal with them in faith and obedience to God, you're going to come out of that with victory and God's going to bring you through to a glorious testimony. You'll be like these people who are testifying tonight. Amen. Bow your head, please. Someone in this room is dealing with unforgiveness. I don't know who you are, but I want you just to think. I'd like to raise my hand. I'm not, I'm not going to ask you to do that. Don't raise your hand. But in your mind, you're lifting your hand. Say, that's me. That's me. I have unforgiveness. Some of you have unconfessed sin. Things have been going real bad, and you've been sinning. Nobody knows about it, but God knows about it. I want you to, in your mind, not in reality, I want you to lift your hand and say, that's me. Many of you tonight are dealing with situations, you may be taking the wrong medicine. The doctor prescribed it. The pharmacist filled it. And it's harming you. I talked to a brother, that is a member of this church. He's in a wheelchair caused by a drug that was given to him by a doctor. The pharmacist filled the prescription. It took all of his muscles away. And I talked to the doctor at Mayo Clinic today. I said, have you ever heard of this? And I won't name the medication because a lot of you are on that medication. <laughs> and it's blank-induced myopathy. And the doctor said, yes. I said, well, studies here at Mayo Clinic prove that that's why the member of my church is in a wheelchair. He said, yes, that's rare. That is a rare thing. And that medicine does not have that side effect on everyone, but it does help a lot of people. So you may be on the wrong medication tonight. I want us just to claim the promise that any prescription that's bad for us, God will take the poison out of it. Take the side effects away. If we feel like we've got to continue to take it for health reasons, we're going to do it by faith and reject any poison, reject anything that would destroy our health. This is important tonight. Doctors make mistakes. Pharmacists make mistakes. And so it's important for us to claim the promise of God that the death in the pot be turned in to beneficial health things that will help us. So stand for prayer now.